today on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you've watched any of the Steelers or Pens games lately, between the car and the beer and the local furniture store commercials, you've probably also noticed a few very early political ads. But it may not be so obvious that they're all U.S. Senate candidates. For sure, some of that is down to money. Those commercials are really expensive. But it's also because our legislative and congressional hopefuls still don't know exactly what or where their districts are. And the lawmakers in charge of deciding it all, well, they blew through the primary deadline yesterday. Today, we're talking to a couple experts to explain what happens next. It's Tuesday, January 25th. I'm Megan Harris, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Huang Po, welcome to CityCast Pittsburgh and to Spotlight PA. I know you're still relatively new to reporting there. What drew you to a job that I'm sure you knew from the beginning was going to be focused so heavily on redistricting? I really wasn't super familiar with redistricting outside of like what I'd learned in government class. But when I learned about it in government class, I was like, wow, this is really foundational to uh, how democracy works. And we only talk about it once every 10 years. And it's you know, probably something we should focus on more. Yeah. Um, Well, to that end, how do you describe the process and the necessity of redistricting to somebody who's never heard of it before? Um, I basically, I describe it as the process of drawing, you know, the district lines that we're all in. But through that, the power of your uh, your vote can be like heightened or lessened, uh, depending on how politicians decide to draw, you know, one district versus the other. It could depend on your identity, on your party. Like there are so many different factors and it's all kind of happening behind closed doors, which is why um, it's very fun to cover. (laughs) Yeah. Can you explain what the problem is with the maps that we've been using for the last 10 years and maybe some of the solutions that have been talked about so far? Yes. Yeah, so uh, originally for the um, legislative maps, at least when they were first declared unconstitutional, they decided that there were too many unnecessary splits. And those splits were in an effort to preserve uh, incumbencies. So to make sure that incumbents stayed in power in the districts that they were in, even though the districts no longer sort of like organically looked like that. Right. Um, and though the number of splits were reduced by quite a bit, the end result was still something that redistricting advocates said had too many splits and uh, was not an entirely fair map. Uh, So this time around, there are four sort of traditional criteria that are outlined in the state constitution that we use to measure how fair a map is, whether or not each district has about an equal population, if it's compact, if it's contiguous, which just means that there's no one part of the district that's completely isolated from the other. No islands. No islands. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, that there are minimal county splits. So minimal splits in uh, political boundaries like counties, townships, municipalities, whatever it may be. So this time around, the maps do improve on all of those four base neutral criteria. But then there's the added step there of um, sort of changing the balance of power that's currently at least in the House where right now there are 90 Democrats and 113 Republicans. This map makes it a lot more balanced. I believe it's about 100 on either side, uh, depending on what like election composite you're running. And that is something that a lot of House Republicans are pushing back on. They're calling it you know, a Democratic gerrymander. However, redistricting advocates are saying that really it's just unwinding the decades of 
gerrymandering that happened by the GOP um, to create this more uh, organic balance. And also because of the demographic shifts of Pennsylvania, right? So we've had people moving from more Western rural areas to Southeastern suburban urban areas, um, you know, areas that are more uh, democratic leaning in the first place. It's sort of a natural progression that there would be fewer Republican seats and more Democratic seats. And we've had some demographic shifts as well, right? I, I, you had a story that the Hispanic population in Pennsylvania has just boomed in the last 10 years. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And that's been a big point of contention or not. It's been a big point of discussion, rather, um, where the Hispanic population grew by 300,000 people or so. And it actually offset the population decline of the white population in the state. And uh, the overall growth in Pennsylvania total, the reason we didn't lose more congressional seats was because uh, of the growth of communities of color. So I want to make sure that I've got this right. To this point, we've been talking about the legislative maps. Those determine district boundaries for our state reps and state senators. But lawmakers couldn't agree on those by yesterday's deadline. So it's sort of up in the air what this does to our primary election in May. And in the meantime, there's a group that you've reported on a bunch, the Legislative Reapportionment Commission, in place to make a recommendation. They're bipartisan, um, but they have to consider a ton of comments they've been gathering from the public since last month. I got to say, as a journalist, I think of your average comment section as a not always super constructive space. Have you gotten to see what people submitted? Yeah, yeah. They're open to the public. I've skimmed through them. There are 6,000, oh my gosh. but I, I, I've, I've chatted with people who have read through all of them. Um, and he, one of the sources was saying that when there's a specific suggestion that's made, they can pretty easily try to like incorporate that and see how that actually affects the map as a whole. But just getting through all of them is going to take some time. You know, there's 6,000 of them. So. <laughs> right. And so for these legislative maps, even after the LRC reckons all those comments and makes a final recommendation, that's not the end of the story, right? Anyone in Pennsylvania can bring a legal challenge directly to the state Supreme Court, which, if I'm remembering correctly, is what happened the last couple times we went through this. So if that happens, if anyone challenges the maps, what comes next? Yeah, I think the most likely scenario is that it'll probably go through litigation as it always does. The maps will be approved. They'll just be approved late. Kate, what I'm hearing is that you have some really great job security over the next couple of years. (laughs) Just looking at past data. Well, thank you so much for your reporting. Um, We'll have links to all of that in our show notes. Um, Really appreciate what you're doing for the state of Pennsylvania to keep us all informed. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for having me. This has been great. So that's the legislative map. There's also a congressional map that determines our federal House seats, and it's just as messy. There are tons of maps in play, but we'll talk about three of them. One is agreed upon by most of the GOP, which is likely to result in slightly more Republican representatives. A second map was submitted by Governor Tom Wolf, and it's likely to result in slightly more Democratic representatives. And a third map was crowdsourced by this initiative out of Harrisburg called Draw the Lines. It was the brainchild of the Committee of 70, a good government group that's been around since 1904. David Thornburg is its former CEO, and he just transitioned to senior advisor. They ultimately got more than 7,000 ideas from folks all over the Commonwealth. David, this is a really big undertaking. How did you get started? We decided we'd start holding public hearings uh, three and a half years ago. 
not two weeks ago, but three and a half years ago, and meaningful ones, because again, these are people that had uh, hands-on experience. The other thing that we we're able to do is once we accumulated all these maps, we were able to step back and say, what did we learn from those maps? And can we turn those thousands of maps into one map? And that's what we did. So we, we bundled up the lessons of all those thousands of Pennsylvanians and used it to create a citizen's map, which we uh, put out there for all to see around Labor Day, uh, and now seems to have really picked up momentum uh, as we uh, near the close of the official process. I heard someone describe it as one map to rule them all. <laughs> We describe there's this phrase that's come out of economics over the last 15 or 20 years uh, that is the wisdom of crowds. And to me, this is a map that expresses the wisdom of crowds, the wisdom of 7,211 Pennsylvanians, none of whom know the entire state you know, backwards and forwards, but each one of them knows something. They know something about the little town they grew up in, the city of Pittsburgh, uh, you know, grew up in uh, Aliquippa or Duquesne or Clarendon or something, they know some, and, and if you aggregate all that, you you actually have a pretty good composite sense of what Pennsylvanians want from these maps. So that's that's what we're counting on, and that's what sort of powers the citizen's map. Yeah. Have you heard from any legislators about whether they support the citizen's map? I mean, I understand that, you know, any party is going to support the map that gives them the edge. That's that's just the reality. But if that fails or doesn't get the support that it needs to proceed, is the citizen's map in play in their minds? I actually think it is. I mean, we've, we've had it out there for a long time. As I said, we put it out in uh, September. And we also, just to make it easy on folks, we handed uh, a puzzle that was uh, uh, of the citizens map. You were holding up a physical puzzle. It is colorful. It is I know <laughs> geographically that does those districts don't make any sense, but I'm sure they do by population. Yeah, well, they do by population. That's, that's they have to absolutely exactly. So it's been out there. We've had lots of internal discussions, some public discussions, as the process is ground along. And then you know we were pleased to see the governor uh, recognize it as, a, as an honest and sincere and thoughtful effort. And it's a balanced map. That, that to me is one of the big lessons we took out of this whole exercise is Pennsylvanians want a balanced map. They don't want one party running away with uh, districts that they really don't deserve. They don't want grotesquely distorted maps that require you to hold out a looking glass to figure out where one district ends and the other begins. And that's just, that fits my general theory of Pennsylvania. This is a state that teeters in the middle, sometimes heads right, sometimes heads left, uh, but we're pretty balanced people. (laughs) So, you know, there are a couple hearings about the congressional map this week. Again, we've already blown through that deadline to make the May primary, and no one's totally sure what that's going to mean for our election. But if lawmakers still don't agree this week, they don't come to consensus, and the question of our congressional map goes to the Commonwealth Court on Sunday, what happens then? Uh, let me just add the editorial comment. It's painful to me that after all this time, we have not completed this fundamental job of democracy. This should not, it was not a surprise that we were going to have to draw new maps. And even though the data was a little delayed because of the census, you know. And the census was delayed because of the pandemic. Right. The fact that we're in mid, late January, and we we don't know the maps that we're going to be voting on is kind of dispiriting. And I hope it doesn't go to the courts. I hope the legislature 
squares up to the job that they have in front of them, even at the last minute, delivers a map to the governor that he finds acceptable. He signs it, and then we're good to go. If not, then it goes to the court, and the court's got to act precipitously because, once again, we've got to get the machinery stood up so that we can have uh, primary elections in May. And I'll point out, some people along the way say, well, you know, if they can't do that, maybe we'll just reuse the old districts one more time. I mean, how bad could that be? We can't because we've gone from 18 to 17. Because our population went down. So that's not an option. So come hell or high water, within the next few weeks, whether it's through the legislative process or the courts, we're going to and we will have a congressional map in place. And I hope it's a citizen's map. Well, thank you so much, David. I appreciate you explaining all this to us. (laughs) Sure. Now some news. Lead producer Matt Stroud is in the house today. Matt, what should folks be following? Yeah, lots of folks affiliated with Pittsburgh public schools are frustrated about the handling of a string of incidents last week. Yeah, there was a shooting on the north side on Wednesday outside of Oliver Citywide. A 15-year-old, Marquise Campbell, died at the hospital, and the school went to virtual classes after that. Do you know if they're back in person yet? They are gradually reopening, but that wasn't the only incident. A 17-year-old was taken to the hospital Thursday after a fight at Brashear, and the next day, two staff members were hurt trying to break up a fight between students at Carrick. The district told KDKA they were also investigating incidents at Allegheny 6-8 and Starrett 6-8, and those are both middle schools. Yeah, are school administrators thinking that any of these things have anything to do with each other? Not from what I've heard, but the teachers union is asking the school board to bring in mental health professionals to help in the wake of all of this. Man, uh, we'll keep watching for that. What else is in the news this week? Well, there's a new game show being filmed at WQED. Ooh. <laughs> Producers behind Signtastic say they're hoping to raise awareness about American Sign Language and the deaf community. I love that. So what's the game show part of it? Well, each episode, two contestants are asked to learn 50 sign language words before the show and test their knowledge through trivia games and charades. But you can't watch it just yet. They're still looking for a buyer and a distribution partner. How's your memory, Matt? Do you think you'd be any good at that? Uh, No. My memory is terrible. I forgot my name before you just mentioned it there. But I am good at gallery crawls. Hey. The Pittsburgh Cultural Trust is hosting their (laughs) latest one downtown this weekend. And if you like the music on our show, you can hear its creator live and in person at the Greer Cabaret on Friday night. Yes, Benji. Benji! (laughs) There's a $10 cover. Masks and proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test are both required, and we will have a link to the tickets in our show notes. And if you go, you may just hear a few friendly CityCast Pittsburgh voices cheering beside you in the crowd. Yeah. (laughs) That's it for us today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're loving the show, please tell everybody and let us know what you'd like to hear more of. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, be kind, and subscribe to our morning newsletter at pittsburgh.citycast.fm. We'll be back Thursday with more news from around the city. Till then, y'all. Forty-seven pieces is an oddly specific. 